Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Carrie. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 69. Today, we're kicking off our 2020 Summer Book Club. We'll be discussing chapters one and two from the book Music Education and Social Emotional Learning, The Heart of Teaching Music by Scott N. Edgar. We'll also share some ideas in a new segment we're calling No Better, Do Better. And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. And now it's time for us to discuss our highs and lows, or lows, of the last um, not teaching week. Right. Right. Because it's summer. It's summer. And uh, we have a shared high in that, I mean, first of all, we're going to celebrate that we're in the same room right now. Yes. We have decided to expand our quarantine bubble, and our families actually got together just a couple days ago, and we went and shared a condo in the mountains, and it was lovely. We went hiking and swimming, and... Lots of fresh air, lots of being outside. Yes. Masks were used um, around, you know, when we were out and about. In public places. In public places, so we are still... Following protocols, we are mask wearing, non, we are, yeah. We are fully aware that COVID (laughs) is still happening. We are not in denial whatsoever, but But, we did decide to expand our our quarantine bubble to include both of our families. Because mental health is important. It is. And our children being able to play with other children is important. Yes. And that was really nice. So we're happy that our families have been reunited and that we, Tanya and I, have been reunited in the podcast. And maybe the sound will be better. Yeah. And when we cut each other off, it will be okay. Yeah. 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 It's a lot more natural when we're not talking to each other through a screen, right? Yeah. I'm getting a little screened out. Yeah. The totally. Zooms are kind of exhausting. It is exhausting. So this is much better. Um, the other high we want to mention, it's kind of an upcoming high, is if you're listening to this fairly soon after this first this episode's coming out, um, real soon here, Tanya and I are both going to be presenting as part of the Rocky and Rocky Mountain Orf series uh, webinar series. They're doing a summer series of webinars on Tuesdays. So this is the Colorado Kodai chapter and the Colorado um, Orf chapter are doing a series of virtual sessions, and we're doing two separate ones. Yes. Yeah. So this Tuesday, um, June 30th, if you haven't passed that in real time, Tanya is going to be presenting Singing and Playing Virtually Engaging Music Makers in an Online Environment. Yeah. Can't wait. And then the following week on July 7th, I'm going to be presenting Integrating Music Literacy and Composition into an Online Environment. Yeah. So it's going to be a lot of online talk, which we thought was apropos, because even, I mean, I know a lot of people don't know exactly what the situation is going to be in their district, but it's, um, these are good things to have in our back pocket whether or not we will be online. I mean, this is, it's all good stuff. It's all applicable. It could be stuff that could be used in a hybrid model Mm -hmm. or if you're back in in school, but socially distancing, you know, there's, there's lots of ways to apply this information. Yes. We hope. And you, these are free. This is a totally free series. You don't have to be a member of either the ORF or the Kodai chapter. You just simply have to go to the Rocky or the ORF, Rocky Mountain ORF page to sign up. So if you go to the Rocky, that's the Kodai, Colorado Kodai website, and you go into summer learning, you will see all the information there. And you don't even have to watch in real time. Everything's going to be recorded, notes, and the session recording is going to be sent out to everyone who signs up, totally free. Um, So, you know, 
it's it's worth doing. Yeah, and when you register, you get a link to a Google Classroom, and that's where they're putting all of the recordings. So even if you're listening to this podcast down the road, and you're like, oh, hey, that would have been good, you know, to have seen, um, you can go and register even after the fact and get access to the Google Classroom. Yeah. So you don't have to be in Colorado. You don't even have to be in the United States. You can be yeah. in any time zone and you can, you know, of course, we'd love for you to join us live if you can, but we understand sometimes you can't. So so we'll link to all that information in our show notes. Yes. And credit is available for extra payment, of course, through Adams State University here in Colorado. So yeah, there's that opportunity too. You do have to do a little bit of work beyond just watching the webinars. Right. And you have to go to all the webinars. Yeah, you have to be live. Yeah, I think so. For the credit. Yeah. And now for our main theme, and we are kicking off our summer book club. This is something that Tanya and I have done now the last three years. Well, this will be the third third year where we dig into a book in the summer and just, just a quick explanation of what we mean by summer book club, because we've been getting lots of questions about this. Um, If you are listening to this podcast right now and you have read the book, you are in our summer book club. There's nowhere where you have to go sign up. There is no synchronous learning at this point, although we might do some Facebook or Instagram lives later on. Yes, to be announced later. But really what we are doing and what we are inviting you to do is just read the book with us. We'll always tell you before the next episode which chapters we're going to focus on. And then we're going to be using the questions that are at the end of each chapter to guide us in our discussion, although we're not going to use every question every time. Right. Um, And then what we will do is we will have a post on Instagram and on Facebook where we invite you to chime in with your comments and thoughts. So everything is just happening through this podcast and through social media, specifically Instagram and Facebook. There's no class you're signing up for. There's no platform we're doing this on. It's just very casual. So I just wanted to to mention that because we've had some questions about that. But please, if you have some big takeaways or questions that you want us to really address during our podcast episodes, you can reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram. Please DM us. We don't have a problem with that. Um, And let us know what you're thinking and what you'd like for us to really address. Yeah, and you can always email us too. We are musicteachercoffeetalk, all lowercase, all one word, at gmail.com. And you can find that also on our webpage, which is musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. Okay, so with all of that out of the way, let's talk about chapters one and two. Yes, let's. So chapter one really was just kind of an overview of what SEL, social emotional learning, is and just some background. Which is excellent because I will be upfront in saying that while I, of course, have heard social emotional learning, I have no experience. My school has not adopted any kind of curriculum. None of the schools I've, I've taught at have. And so this is, you know, very, very new to me. I don't yeah. know about this formally. My school that I've been at for the past four years, we do have um, a half-time social-emotional learning teacher, instructor, oh. who shares, oops, dropping things, who shares um, half-time between our school and another school. And um, I cannot remember the curriculum off the top of my head that she uses. Mm-hmm. I should learn it and put it in the show notes. Well, I thought it was interesting in the first chapter how it was recommended that you do have like a, a formal curriculum that the whole school buys into, which I think really has to be said because, um, you know, of course we can do components of social emotional learning within our music classrooms, but I think whole building 
buy-in is really what would make a difference. And that's one thing that we have been doing in our class. So there's always like a monthly focus. And this kind of also weaves into the PBIS model. So we will have like a monthly focus. So um, February, I I always remember, is always caring because it's kind of around Valentine's Day and this idea of caring for one another. So we each have a poster in our classroom about what caring looks like. And then it's just asked upon all of us, whether you're a classroom teacher or a specialist or a small group instructor, that you just call that up when there's opportunities to do so and kind of keep it at the forefront of what you're doing. So the kids know everywhere in the school, the monthly theme is caring. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the month, we recognize students and staff who have really shown that characteristic in a public way. So have you like viewed any of the lessons, the SEL lessons? No, see, that's where I think I would like to dig in further and be a little bit more um, cohesive with what's going on in the classroom as far as what, besides just the monthly theme, like what exactly do those lessons look like and is there a way I can adapt it and implement it into my classroom? Another question about that, because I've heard just little tiny murmurings about how um, it shouldn't be in conjunction with a PBIS model. What do you think about that? I mean, I guess I don't maybe know enough about the specific curriculum, but it seems to tie in really well because what ends up happening is we also use some of like the themes from our PBIS model into, you know, what our monthly themes will be for our SEL focus too. Mm-hmm. Because, and I think maybe this is where PBIS kind of sometimes gets a bad Should rap. Should we define what PBIS is? Right. So positive behavioral instructional support yes oh it gosh. used to be pbs and that had to change yes. so i think the i is for instructional okay thank you i i, I couldn't remember well and the top of i will head. say that the problem with pbis with that not now and this is not a problem with that program specifically but the danger of using a pbis system is that a lot of schools they embrace the giving out tickets giving out rewards modeling good behavior but they don't get much deeper Exactly. Yeah. And and I also can very quickly focus on the punitive side, too. Yes, yes. Um, so I think if, if you're, I mean, the SEL focus to me is kind of the overarching umbrella mm-hmm. and that PBIS can fall into it because so much of what PBIS is, is recognizing positive behaviors we see in our kids. And in a school, especially like mine, where we have a lot of kids who come from high levels of trauma, you know, they they need a model of what positive behavior looks like because maybe they didn't grow up with that model at home. They're coming from a place where they're not seeing a lot of that modeled for them on a regular basis. So we have to explicitly teach this these behaviors. So to me, the SEL piece, and again, this is me just still scraping the surface, is about that kind of overall piece of understanding your place within society and within Mm -hmm. your classroom society but pbis goes a little bit more explicit into more specific behaviors because again for kids in my my school situation we need to be very explicit in how we model those behaviors and practice those routines Uh, uh, some, some things that maybe we just take for granted like how to stand in line without having your hands all over somebody else when they might not want you to do that, you know? So that's to me where they can go hand in hand. Okay. And then I think that that also points to where we're going to focus is in the elementary school. Yeah. In the elementary music classroom and overall in elementary education. And so I know that this book brings up a lot of uh, specific to high school scenarios, but it's very adaptable from 
so far yeah to bring it into the elementary music room and honestly as elementary music teachers and it was mentioned i think in chapter two that we have this advantage of seeing kids kindergarten through sixth grade if we are sticking around in that school and so that is a great opportunity for us to be leaders in helping kids with some of these key components of sel which i kind of wanted to list can we talk about oh yeah yeah Yeah, this is still in chapter one this is still in chapter one right so some of the key components or the key components are self-awareness like what's my place how do I do I know myself? Can I recognize my emotions? Social awareness. How am I getting along with others? And boy, I really zoned in on that one because that's something that our kids at my elementary school specifically, this is something that social awareness piece is is a big need yeah. for us. Responsible decision making. Do I make good choices? Uh, self-management. Am I in control of myself? Another thing that I think my students specifically you know, oh, yes. need some focus on and then relationship skills am i a good friend mm-hmm. and um that's very interesting when i was thinking about relationship skills on how that changes year by year um my daughter just completed fifth grade as did your son mm-hmm. and the relationship skills kind of took center stage yeah and as we move into middle school i know that It'll stay like that. Yeah, it becomes more and more a part of their their identity is how they, what what group they feel they belong to. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, and we all should just, should just mention it's probably implied, but if you're listening to this, you know, way in the future, we are still in the COVID times, and mm-hmm. that really is what sparked this this book in particular. And I know a lot of people are reading this book because a lot of us are very concerned about our students' well-being, especially when they're lacking that face-to-face, in-person socialization. Yes. Um, and that if and when we are back with our students in the fall, in you know the 2020-2021 school year, how will this time of quarantine and being away from their friends and really having to relearn a lot of those social behaviors? I mean, I've even noticed it in my own children when we got together with your family. Mm-hmm. There are certain ways that I noticed my kids were struggling socially that they weren't so much at the end of February and the yeah. beginning of March because they just haven't been having those day-to-day social skills with other kids as yeah. much. I mean, even so, as simple as, like, being able to share things, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we're really thinking about it, um, especially in terms of what's going on right now. But obviously, this is something that needs to be thought about all the time. Yes. So, so we, we pulled out a couple of questions from Chapter 1 we thought we would just kind of zone in on, um, starting with the third question that's on questions for discussion. If you have your book in front of you, page 27. We're looking at the third question down. What is my personal level of social emotional competence? That's a great question. (laughs) It is. (laughs) I, you know, it's interesting how, okay, when we're talking about social emotional competence, okay, the social part is there too. The last few months being in quarantine, and honestly, I, my family, we have barely come out of any time. I mean, I went to the grocery store for the first time like two days ago. Yeah. I've been ordering groceries online. I mean, we've been very serious about wiping them down outside. We don't leave. I mean, I, I walk the neighborhood. Um, but other than that, we don't really leave the house. And my husband, my children, we've all been pretty much at home because my husband's a teacher as well. Kids are not in school. And so just the last few months, it's 
it's hard to understand that that was very uh, well I mean that it kind of does a number on you is like you you don't have this social interaction with people and also day after day being the same um, it, it I think wears you down and you don't realize at the time that you're, you're kind of going through I won't say trauma because nothing traumatic particular well I guess the trauma of living with the unknown yeah and that would be all of us oh I think that definitely. is is big well, and depending on your level of consumption of the news and mm-hmm. social media I mean seeing those numbers of deaths I mean it is right. definitely right and and I will admit that there was a few weeks that I did too much news binging yeah and that really got to me so I I feel like I'm a little bit well I feel like I'm a lot more um in control and scheduled and, and being able to regulate news consumption and food consumption and any of the things that we lean on in stressful times, um, I'm a little more organized now. And so now I can look back to these last few months and go, wow, that was really hard. Right. 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 So when we talk about what's my personal level of social emotional competence, it's still a little foggy right now because we've been not socializing right right um emotionally i know i i'm thinking other people might feel the same way i had some days in march in april where i was just in a funk and it was hard for me to motivate myself to do anything and it felt you know kind of hopeless yeah oh yeah i had to stay in bed and watch netflix all day days you know and it was it's so good at that point to know you know when you have a supportive partner at home because, you know, I would look at my husband and say, I, I just need a day to just kind of be in a cocoon, you know, like <laughs> whatever that means for each person. But right. this question for me really brought up to, you know, constantly relating it to, you know, kind of the normal day to day stuff. You know, when I think about, especially in Kodai inspired music education we we talk a lot about this ideal that that code i had that only the best musicians should mm-hmm. teach children only the best is good enough for a child right and that you know music teachers should never be musicians who couldn't hack it they should be of the utmost right skill level as musicians i think of the same thing with the social emotional competence too you know that if if I am prone to not be a good model of what that looks like for my kids, learning how to regulate my own emotions in a way that's positive and still stays true to myself, but still functions within (laughs) what is our community as music majors. In other words, if I'm constantly blowing up at my kids, Mm -hmm. then I'm not modeling that for my kids. Well, of course. But that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. It is. It is. So it's not that I'm saying that I'm going to be of the utmost level, just like as a musician, I know that there are still things that I'm struggling with in my own personal musicianship oh for sure you know but that's that to me was the parallel to the music class well I think that that. along with that idea of you know modeling we can also model progressing like Uh and we can model um, what kind of tools we would use right so I'm thinking specifically about meditation Mm -hmm. and mindfulness right um so when I do mindfulness in the music classroom or when I talk about mindfulness on any kind of platform or even here on the podcast, I'm not doing it to be like, look at me, I'm doing mindfulness. Ha, la, la, la. It's, this is something that has helped me tremendously and I don't, I'm not extremely well versed in it, but 
maybe it's a tool that could be useful for other people, right? right? So within the classroom, we don't have to show that we have it all together, but that we are working at and we're aware of our able ability to control our emotions, our ability to make good decisions and to take care of ourselves and to take care of others and those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, totally. The other question from chapter one we would like to focus on is what are elements of my music classroom that make it conducive for social emotional instruction? And obviously we're going to come at this from the specific lens of being elementary music teachers because that's what we are. Um, And, you know, it talks a little bit more about this in chapter two as well that, I mean, you mentioned one of the benefits of being an elementary music teacher is that longevity Mm -hmm. we get with our students, that ability to create those relationships over time. Now, I will say that if you are in a school like mine, a highly impacted Title I school where you have a lot of mobility, this becomes difficult because I have kids coming in and out of my room all the time, all year long, mm-hmm. in any given classroom, or what year to the next, I would say maybe two-thirds are returning students, uh-huh. and a third to a half could be brand new to me kids every and single year. And then sometimes kids leave for a few months and come then back. come back. Yeah, and there's a variety of reasons, but I'm just, I'm just acknowledging that while it did mention that in Chapter 2, we also have to be realistic that that's not the reality for a lot of teachers and a lot of kids. Yes. That due to many factors beyond their control, beyond our control, mobility is, a, is something that does hinder that. Right. So what are the elements of your music classroom that make it conducive for social-emotional instruction well during normal times (laughs) i mean just play-based learning singing games i always go back to singing games i mean it it was mr rogers right that says that play is children's work and i mean what a benefit we have as music educators especially in the elementary classroom that if you are doing lots of active music making you are playing these singing games you are playing instruments and you have just kind of that child-centered pestilosian kind of overarching principle to what you're doing it's not just sit and i'm a sage on a stage and i'm gonna lecture to you about quarter notes it needs to be and and i mean k through six we're not just Mm -hmm. talking about primary we're talking about all the way through elementary school it should be playful and engaging and it should be child-centered exactly and and this is something that I I keep bringing up over and over again like you said about play is the work of the child and in an elementary music classroom as as the teacher you're a during songs and games you're the facilitator you set it up and as much as you can you of course are not singing sing for them not with them but you step back and you let things literally play out Mm -hmm. and this is very interesting i was thinking a lot about playground games singing games and how it relates to relationships and skill building on on um, working through problems and how often i really have to hold myself back like i have to put my hand over my mouth when some little kind of um, disagreement happens within a singing game, and I just watch and see. Can they work? Can it they out? work it out? Mm-hmm. Right now, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes you do have to intercede. And what is very interesting, because I've been teaching for a while now, is that more and more they can't work it out. Right. Right. So, I will say, ten years ago, if we were playing a singing game and somebody felt like 
something happened that wasn't quite fair, maybe somebody cheated, whatever, I would stand back and it would get worked out. Yeah. And they would make decisions. Nowadays, all too often, I have to intercede. Yeah. Because I have students who, and I'm not blaming the students. I don't know what's going on. Well, that could be a whole other podcast, but we won't talk about that. But all too often, it's just that no. I see it this way, and the other student or students say, nope, I see it this way, and they won't um, even consider listening to the other person and making some kind of compromise. Right. And and this is not all kids all the time, but like I said, I've noticed that more often I have to say, oh, they're not going to work it out, and we've, you know, you only got 10 minutes left to class, I got to step in. Right. But what so. a great opportunity to use our classroom as a place to practice those skills. Right. So this is, I, I keep looking at everything through the lens of COVID times. Mm-hmm. So how is that going to play out Right. when we're not doing singing games? And um, what are the elements of my music classroom in the future that can make it conductive for social emotional instruction? Because I'm picturing, you know, kids di- sitting at desks facing forward, maybe singing, maybe not, but being musical in their own bubble. virtual bubble. Like, <laughs> right. Or sitting at home. Right. And so that's a, that's hard to wrap my head around how that would work. But Well, I think it really just comes back to kind of the bigger picture of remembering, you know, music's purpose in society is, you know, to, to connect and how can we create those connections if we can't create them physically? Um, if we are, you know, in an online environment, can can kids still sing? And how can we invite them to do so? And this is a lot of what your presentation for, yeah. for Rocky and, and the Rocky Mountain North chapter is going to be about. Um, if we are in the classroom, but we are socially distanced mm-hmm. and are doing some sort of a got to sit at your own desks, how can we still make our own space become a place where we can do active music making which right. is a lot of what my presentation is going to be yeah. about and how do we make it a community it's just an online community yeah but I think it also just goes back to being child-centered and child-driven which I mean a lot of questions for me this summer is about how can I do more student-driven project-based learning kind of things where the students are are basing their where they're going with their project on their interests right you know and that's kind of speaks to like knowing themselves as far as the SEL piece goes so I mean I don't have the answer yet obviously I don't think any of us do we're still navigating this as we go and so now we're going to jump into talking about uh chapter two which was actually not written by um Scott and Edgar but Jacqueline Kelly McHale authored chapter two and it's all about socialization in the music classroom and there were some really good specific examples of some high school music programs and there was examples of two different students one very involved in choir one very involved in band and their level of inclusivity Mm -hmm. that they experienced through their music programs Um, that was really interesting i'm going to go over to the questions on page 54 and we touched on this with singing games but we're talking about what do you do to help promote feelings of inclusion within your classroom so we're thinking specifically elementary 
the elementary music classroom. And I know that because of the age of the students, we, I mean, from kindergarten all the way to sixth grade, you want to always have an inclusive music classroom. Being Kodai inspired music teachers, I think that is definitely one of the tenets of building that community yeah. within the classroom and through music and through their inclusion of music. But what other things maybe have you done? I mean, what pops into my head with here, with this question, and this again goes back to the high mobility rate that I've experienced in a lot of my school settings, is really getting to know the students and their needs. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's it can be easy, and I understand, especially if you teach a lot of kids, yes. to really just kind of compartmentalize, like I'm the music teacher, and they come to me for only a certain you know, small amount of time, and I don't have the the emotional capacity to really, you know, connect with every single student. I know that sounds horrible, but it's just, we know the reality is that it's different. It's different than the classroom teacher who sees them all day, every day, mm-hmm. knows the parents very well. Sometimes I don't, I mean, oftentimes I don't know their parents as well and know their, their, their story until... I've had them for longer. So something that I I try to do more and more is really get to know these kids. I've been doing a lot more of like going in and sitting in the cafeteria with them, going outside at recess. Sometimes I have to because it's part of my duties (laughs) that have been assigned to me. But I use that opportunity like, all right, well, if I have to be out here on the playground rather than just standing on the side, I'm actually going to get in there and, and get to know the kids and what do they like to play and what is their reality. And you hear the good, the bad, the ugly, you Uh know, when you're talking to them. So to me, that is really what helps me is if I'm understanding more where my kids are coming from and what interests them and and they get to know me as a person and I get to know them as a person. Yeah. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot um, about how it's mentioned here that the high school students, especially the choir kid, Sean, is that he and friends who are in choir and in some other um, singing ensembles, they would eat lunch in the in the music room. They would hang out in the music room, and that is exactly. I mean, I'm Sean, pretty much. Yeah. In oh, this yeah. Book. Me too. Yeah. So, yeah, I was in the choir room all the time before school. I had a zero hour class, mm-hmm. um, a performing ensemble that could only meet before school, so I was in that. And then I was involved in the drama club, which we of course met in the choir room because right. our um, first drama um, sponsor was the choir director. And in an elementary school, it looks a lot of, it looks a lot different, but I'm thinking about the times where I have had small groups of kids come into my room during their lunch recess, maybe to practice a special part that they had in a concert or a program. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that that's always been something that I think really builds those relationships is when those kids in smaller groups come into the music room and they get excited because they have a purpose, but they also have this small group to work with. And it's interesting because I'm thinking back a few years, a principal I had who um, we were getting ready for a a big Colorado program and there was some very specific acting parts. So I was having the kids come in during lunch recess and I had a principal who called a stop to it, who said, the kids need to be outside. They need, they need to get out. They need to socialize. They need sun. And I, I, I let go. I, I didn't, argue with that right right but I was thinking they're getting exactly that I don't have the sun all right I don't right. have any windows but um they are getting like maybe even more of what they need because they have these other people that they're connected to through this thing that they're Shared building thing. like yeah. they're 
practicing this melodrama and they're all excited about it and they're definitely getting there so they're not running and playing soccer granted right maybe they're not getting the physical activity that they should but they are definitely getting that socialization and right before another thing that happened that was very interesting right before we went on lockdown had one student a fifth grader who who said hey miss lejeune um can i come in at lunch and like i want to play some music for you and then maybe you can play some music for me Mm -hmm. and i'm like uh okay cool cool (laughs) and we did this like two or three times and it was literally the week before we went on lockdown which kind of broke my heart because i was thinking you know this has gone so well with this student yeah i want to start inviting like other fifth graders and we'll call it the music listening club so this is something that I didn't have a chance to do. Yeah. Um, and it's it's very challenging because I know uh, we get such little time to plan. And a lot of times my planning time goes out the window because I've got to answer the emails or someone just called and asked a question about such and such. And i got to make sure these forms are in order. And I don't have... I look forward to my lunch time because I eat really, really, really quickly and then I get other stuff done. Right. So it means coming to a organizational place where I could invite kids, even if it was just a couple of days a week, into the music room. Yeah. And, you know, here's a safe space. Or there are times where I've had kids come in for like a lunch bunch kind of situation and I just say, you know what, you guys just hang out and have fun, but I'm so sorry I have to cut check a couple emails. Uh-huh. But they're still just so happy to be in my room. Right. And I'm still chit-chatting with them, you know, while I'm doing stuff, but... Yes. Well, this kind of leads to the next question, though. We talked a little bit about it. How do you facilitate socialization? Um, I will just be very honest and say this is something that I struggle with, especially being a Kodai-inspired music teacher, because I think so much that was kind of passed down to us is so much whole group mm-hmm. instruction. Whole group, whole group, whole group. Sometimes kids do things individual with manipulatives, and then mm-hmm. we're back to whole group again. So something that I'm trying to do better with and include more is small group activities in my class. Maybe not in every single lesson, because again, that time piece is so is so prevalent in everything we do, but mm-hmm. opportunities where kids can get together in small groups and do things together in small groups. That's yes. something that I've been trying to do better with. Yes, and, and this is something I have written down on my lesson plans, that, and I really have to look to remind myself to do it, but even as something as simple as pairing and sharing mm-hmm. and um, have it, having it be not just someone next to them, your elbow elbow partner but also your crosstown buddy now everyone's going to get up and you're going to go across the room to a crosstown buddy and talk about such and such but I admit that I don't do enough small group really working through I I don't have a lot of experience with project based learning which is something that I, I think coming up seems more appropriate well I mean it could be appropriate any time but I think that the opportunity to really dig in to problem-based or, you know. Yeah, this could be it. Learning or, yeah, project-based learning would be these COVID times. So facilitating socialization on online, how do you think that would look like? I'm thinking maybe small groups of kids meeting online to do some kind of project. Right. Could be a thing. Yeah. So what I did, you know, during our remote learning experience that we had, you know, from March to the end of the year was, you know, everything was asynchronous, but then I had optional 
you know, Google Meet Mm -hmm. music classes. Um, And I know you did something kind of similar, but with the other people in your specials team, your art and PE teachers, you know, just providing those opportunities. And of course, not all kids are going to be able to come. And we know that's for a variety of reasons, way beyond our control and theirs, but at least giving them the opportunity. And it was so funny because, you know, the music teacher and me, I just wanted to jump right into the content, but it was so fun just to sit back. And I never had more than I think the the most I ever had on a single call or a single meet was like maybe 15 at mm-hmm. most. So just giving them an opportunity to kind of all talk to each other, even if they're all talking at the same time, they needed that That so was much. even suggested at my school. Yeah. Yeah, our instructional coach had said, you know, when you meet, if you do a, any kind of Google meet with your class, it's okay for you to say, okay, you know what, kids, um, the screen, I'm still on the screen, but I'm going to scoot off camera and take care of this and give them that opportunity to just talk to oh, each other. I didn't go so far to be off the screen. I yeah. just said, hey, guys, before we start music, you know, I mean, not for an extended talk. time. Right, but, right, right. Yeah. I mean, how else are they going to get that? I know. Yeah. It's going to be really important. Yeah. And then if there's any way you can do any sort of collaborative learning online too, where they can, you know, especially for older kids that have more of the tech skills to do like a shared, you know, Google Doc or, you know, some sort of a shared project, if you're able to have them collaborate in some way, even asynchronously, I think would be a great thing to try to include. Yeah. As hard as it might be to, to coordinate. Yes. So this is, I really... I think this is a really valuable question. Maybe we'll put it on our Facebook group. Um, the how do you facilitate socialization, but add in, Especially. in the time of COVID During or COVID on an, in an online environment, because, yeah. you know, there's, there's lots of things that we could be doing that we just haven't thought through and we haven't explored yet. Right. Yeah. All right. So this last question, this is, this is a biggie and this is something that's driving a lot of our work, both Tanya and I, both within this podcast. This is and outside. Yes. Um, in a lot I mean this is this is huge. So um, I'm just gonna read it verbatim. Often the curricular and repertoire decisions made within the music classroom serve to inadvertently hinder inclusion. Identify ways that you can rethink your pedagogy to be more inclusive while maintaining current practice. If there was ever a time to re-examine and rethink your pedagogy, now would be that time. Yes. And your song collection. Right. And it goes bigger than repertoire, but we always say repertoire is kind of a good place to start. And we're going to give an example of that later. In well, this in podcast, a Kodai-inspired but... classroom, repertoire drives everything, exactly. which is why this has been a hot, well, it's been a hot topic on so many of the social media pages, but especially Kodai teachers. Uh, we as Kodai teachers have a lot of work to do. Yeah. In this regard. Right. And it's not just about issues of, you know, Uh, race and diversity it's also about you know within genres like they were giving the example again um this time about cullen who outside of the music classroom really loved rock music and played drums in his rock band but he didn't feel included in his you know traditional band class because Because he he participated in marching band um you know and he didn't feel at times validated in the fact that he felt at home as a musician within this genre and i think how many times have i and i know that i've done this not valued my students musical preferences especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to hip-hop which is something that i just don't know enough about and you know how many times as we as music teachers said you know popular music isn't of 
you know, great quality. And here is what is of great quality, and we have inadvertently, but maybe advertently. Well, yeah, that's the whole thing. <laughs> I don't think that I've ever come out and said that, but I don't think that I have ever come out and made sure that yeah. I was clear that, you know what, whatever music genre that you are really invested in, that is good, and you should explore that. And, I mean, yeah, I think I haven't this is... It inclusive in that way and this is an elementary music issue that a lot of kids or probably even most kids don't see music class music as being real music yeah so we need to really make a good faith effort to show the connection of music music from your world when you're going to sleep at night to when you're like making music or jamming with friends to what you're listening to on the radio like this is all this is all music that is worth doing and I have said you know all music listening and all music appreciation leads to more music and that's a wonderful thing and I have some genres that I am not um eh. You know, that I don't, I'm not educated about and that I need to be more accepting of. Country music is my big block. Right. I will tell, I will say. Um, And I know I have kids that love country music. Now, I don't go as far as to, I don't rag on their music. Right, right, By any means. I just kind of, you know, smile and and shake my head because I don't know country music. But I was thinking when reading about that particular student and how he had this rock band connection, like, I did attend some training for Little Kids Rock, Mm -hmm. right? Because I'm a big fan of rock music, and I enjoy being in bands, and I have, like, a stack of things, lessons from Little Kids Rock that I need to look over and see how I can include because they are proponents of have a rock band option within your music curriculum. Right. And it's a fantastic thing. I mean, the biggest issue is the time to learn how to really do it instructionally and to fit it into your music program. Right. But where it also really begs the question of what is your community really involved in? So here in Denver, down the street, there is a high school. They have a mariachi Mm -hmm. ensemble, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of kids come to that already with their whole lives having listened to this and being immersed in mariachi music. We need to understand that that is music of huge value. And why shouldn't that be an ensemble in high school that it is as valued as the marching band or the madrigal singers? Or, I mean, and this is a whole other podcast or a whole other book or a whole other class or what yeah. have you, is that, yeah, we need to make sure that we are not excluding genres that kids already love and know they don't come to us as blank slates right and part of the push as a kodai music educator is that this idea of the music of the mother tongue and i'm gonna i'm wondering if we're gonna get away from that term if that term's gonna have negative connotations to it i think it already does do you yeah okay well when we're talking about music of the mother tongue we're talking about the folk music the music of the people not a song that was written to be on the top 10 of the billboard charts, but as you know, something that has survived from generations to generations and generations. And we've got this problem in the United States and it's been there. It's not like, Oh, all of a sudden we're aware there's minstrel songs. There's been minstrel songs and songs that are problematic for long, long, long time. Yeah. It's just that now we are, um, 
understanding that that's extremely harmful and it alienates if it alienates if it dehumanizes the people we shouldn't be doing it so kodai's whole thing in the 19 early 1900s in hungary he wanted hung hungarian children to really embrace their hungarian culture and to know hungarian folk songs which is totally understandable yeah. it's about identity right culture is about identity right, right? Well, well, we are not in, we are not in that society. Time. Right. Yeah. So you know, we have to ask, and it, it's mentioned in this, is that we really have to identify what is culture and what culture um, do we really want to make sure that we are immersing ourselves in and that we are passing on. I mean, I think about these problematic, problematic songs, and we're going to talk about this in our No Better Do Better, but I don't want to perpetuate songs that promote a culture that belittles or dehumanizes or puts down any people right totally exactly and that becomes very um there there's a lot to it so and and i know carrie's going to talk more about this but it's really important to know the history of our songs but also to know and understand the history of certain genres of music like blackface minstrel shows and how they contributed to other styles and genres of music i mean are we going to say let's not do musical theater right because that was highly influenced by the minstrel show right no we're not going to it's it's not cut and dry and i know that there's lists it's not like someone hands you a list and says don't do these songs and now we're done you need to be educated on where these songs come from yeah it's about questioning and researching and you know it's about, you know, we talk a lot in our world about, our Kodai world, about, you know, moving from the, the known to the unknown, right? Starting with something that the children are familiar with. And, you know, there might have been a time where we could have said, oh, all of these American folk songs are what are known. But they're really not. I mean, I find myself, and, and I'm not saying that, that that's a good or bad thing. It's just it is what it is. Well, it's kind of a sad thing, but not when it comes to songs that were harmful. But I'm talking more about, like, kids who don't know, you know, Mary had a little lamb as much as they maybe did before. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, bringing it back to this more, like, having your classroom be more of a mirror for your students that they can see themselves, whether it's they can see themselves in the literature, in the in the concepts you're teaching, in the genres that you're using, in the children's literature that you're showing them, that they can see themselves and they can identify themselves and say, I belong here. Right. That's really, to me, what it comes down to. And I... I need to do better. I mean, I think all of us can right. probably say that to some degree, but I know I need to be better. Yes, I do too. Um, can we touch just basic, just briefly on the idea of rethinking pedagogy? Yeah. Yeah, because again, um, in the Kodai world, some criticisms of Kodai inspired teaching always point to is it not child centered enough, right? And yeah. I understand where that comes from. Because if you look at videos of teaching um, from when Kodai first came to the United States and some of the things that were being held up of held up uh, as this is Kodai inspired teaching, it is students sitting in their desks, Mm -hmm. sitting at their desks, and there is that sage on the stage saying, "We're going to sing." Thorin Rosa, I need five people to play this game. And they all calmly raise their hand, and then those five go up. They play their game, and everybody else sits at their desk and sings. And this is a very specific scene from 
Oh my goodness, I can't. It's like Kodai. There's a video. I remember this video. You remember this video? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, times are different now. Yeah. Now, we don't need to throw away the wonderful tenets of the Kodai inspired music teaching, right. right? But we do need to shift and adjust that, yeah, we do need to make sure we show how we can be more child centered. Yeah. For totally. That. Totally. Um, so there's a lot to talk about with, with, with pedagogy and, um, yeah, I'm, st- I'm still starting to wrap my head around that and how that looks. And then to put the COVID times right. on top of that, how does that look too? It's a lot of thinking, rethinking and, and changing ways. Yes. And that's is. good. it's time for our new segment called No Better Do Better and I wanted to make sure that we mention that the title of this section comes from a specific Maya Angelou quote that often gets misquoted. Um, the quote is, she said, I did then what I knew how to do. Now that I know better, I do better. Maya Angelou. So the idea behind this is that um, it's all about educating ourselves and understanding and knowing and then taking action to do better in our music teaching in music education and um here on the podcast and spreading that kind of uh knowing and doing yes yes (laughs) so carrie you are up to tell us something that now you know oh yes Yes. now i know about jim along josie more specific yes yes so jim along josie is a song that i have been using in my elementary music classroom for a very long time and i have taught it not only to students but to other teachers exactly and if you're one of those now we know better. now we know better and i'm sorry please listen to (laughs) carrie because she will tell us things so um yeah i learned uh, a version and there's many different versions of variants which is part of the problem we'll talk about in a minute um from my cooperating teacher from my student teacher and i've used it primarily in my teaching in uh, kindergarten and first grade as as a movement song and a lot of times we use it to explore comparatives yes so we're moving around in different ways and we identify if they're either fast or slow and if they're loud or soft and that's generally where that song has landed in my curriculum um so it it came to my attention that this song is part of the blackface minstrel tradition and uh the the quickest most concise place you can go to read about this is an article by brandy weller pace who's one of the founders of decolonizing the music room and we'll link to that article um and she goes through the history so this is a song that from all intents and purposes was written to be performed in blackface minstrel shows by Edward Harper in 1838. And you can actually see, Brandy has it in her article, and I've seen it in a couple couple other places as well, the actual sheet music, when it was written, there is a picture that depicts the character. (laughs) If that doesn't just solve it for you, you can look at the lyrics, and if that doesn't solve it for you... I think the image solved it for me. Yeah, read more about the context. Um, But, you know, it was written specifically to characterize, and specifically, it was, you know, a freed slave who went to the North and was trying to, you know, make himself be a part of that society by elevating himself and making himself appear more white 
through his um, clothing and his actions and his mannerisms, right? And mm-hmm. kind of elevating this idea of whiteness, okay? Um, then from Brandy's amazing you know, concise article, she then gives further research from there. Um, One of them I want to mention is an article that's really interesting, specifically about Jim Along Josie by Maya Brown. And this article is called Jim Along Josie Play Parties and the Survival of a Blackface Minstrel Song. And she really goes through the details of how it evolved because I think uh, that's where a lot of us get stuck, right? We know, okay, this song was a blackface minstrel, you know, song, but it's okay to do now because the lyrics have changed. So what what Maya Brown examines in her article is, you know, this whole idea of play parties, where they came from, that children and young adults wanted to get together, but they were not allowed to dance and they were not allowed to have instruments. So a lot of these songs were the lyrics changed and then we get all of these different variants because young people wanted to do these songs and you know Jim Along Josie was a fiddle tune Mm -hmm. as well as part of this minstrel tradition and you know there is also a lot of research about the intersection between black and white fiddle players and how a lot of these tunes were played by black fiddle players and white fiddle players in and outside of minstrel shows so it's not cut and dry it's not like the only time we saw Jim Along Josie was in minstrel shows however really the the root of it comes back to it was created for this purpose to demean, demoralize, and dehumanize black people. And for that reason alone, I have decided it no longer has a place in my classroom. Mm -hmm. Another book I want to mention that I'm reading right now that is very interesting is called Demons of Disorder, Early Blackface Minstrels and Their World by Dale Cockrell. And this book was brought to my attention by Rhiannon Giddens, who is an amazing musician, uh, performer, and speaker who really does a lot of work on this idea of old-time roots music and you know talking a lot about blackface minstrel shows she did an amazing speech amazing presentation with her partner um for live with carnegie hall and yes, we'll link you, to I that think you can still watch it you yeah. can i just checked it today so we'll link to that so this book actually uses jim along josie as kind of the introduction to the whole book and then it talks about some other tunes along the way as well that's really good mm-hmm. so um really my conclusion again is jim along josie does not have a place in my classroom because of its original intentions and being harmful so then the next question is well how will I replace it Mm -hmm. and this is where sometimes I hear music teachers say well if we take away all these songs we'll have nothing left and I'm sorry I'm gonna say bs if I could say the whole word I would it just means that you need to look deeper yes I mean there are so many beautiful pieces of music from all around the world but specifically this last school year I already knew Jim Along Josie was no longer going to be in my classroom so I have replaced it with Hey Betty Martin right so Hey Betty Martin is Hey Betty Martin tippy toe tippy toe um so I can I can link to that somewhere if I can't find the notation I'll put it in there myself but based on my research which has been very brief but I found it very quickly that this is actually a fiddle tune song that dates back to the 1700s and colonial times so um you know there may have been different variants and progressions along the way but this song was created just strictly for joyful music making there is some interesting stories about women in there and Mm -hmm. i'll link to an article um, online that i read about that but nothing in my research so far has caused me to question the use of this song now the interesting thing about hey betty martin because this is a song that i know and use and love um is that there is 
notated Hey Betty Martin in one of the Fire Robin collections, the John yes. Fire Robin collections, and I can't remember I what it is exactly off the top of my head, which which book it's found in. And in that collection, it has a B section that goes, yeah. jump with me, I'll jump with you, we'll go jumping all day through, jump so fine, jump so fine, jumping, jumping all the time. And then back to, hey, hey Betty Martin, tippy-toe, tippy-toe. Um, we have never found, I have never found, I know Amy, our friend Amy Abbott, who has looked for it also, yeah. never found this B section no. anywhere. I'm sure it was added you know, somewhere I think along it was the way composed. by a well-meaning, you know, music teacher who wanted to add a B section. I used the B section. I don't think that's inherent. No, there's nothing the wrong B with section. it, but just know that it's not inherent to the original yes. so tune. So if you know that version where there's that B section, just be aware that that was probably composed. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and what I'll link to is a website. Um, it's on a page called Bluegrass Messengers, and it, it talks about the history of the song and then um, specifically tracing to Gene Ritchie. And yeah. that's probably where us as music teachers have gotten the variants that we've been using. Yeah. So there we go. I'm knowing better and I'm doing better. Jim along, Josie out and Hey Betty Martin back in. Not right. that it was ever out. And but. please remember, you do not need to take what we say as this is what you should do. Oh, no. We're just putting it out there. Um, we'll link to all of these places yes. and, and you that do is the work yourself. Awesome, thorough research. Then we'll thank you. Yeah. And now it's time for our CODA section, where we each give a personal or professional recommendation, something we've been enjoying in and out of our classroom, real, virtual, whatever. Yeah. All right, Tanya, you go first. All right. Um, I have been reading a lot. I've been watching a lot of things. But I'm going to talk about a book that I read a few years ago because it came out, I believe, in 2017 called The Hate You Give. Yes. Do you know this book? I do. I haven't read it, but it's on my, my long list of books I need to read. Right. So I'm going to recommend the book because the book is, is excellent. But I only saw the movie um, last week. Yeah. And I saw it with my daughter, who is 10. Um, the book, it was interesting because I started to read the book to my son, like, shortly after I read the book. And he was, like, 12, 13 at the time. And there's a lot of F-words. There's a lot of F-bombs in there. And there's a lot of situations. The book is much more explicit. And not just language, but in situations yeah. than the movie. Now, of course, the movie is... Um, it's it's heavy. There's the center of the book and the movie is the killing of a black teenager. Mm -hmm. Right? So when we watch the movie, me and my daughter... Um, I did prep her ahead of time and make sure I made, I, I pretty much told her like the story and, and this is going to happen because I, had I read the, her the book, I think it would have been, um, a little more challenging, could be traumatic for a 10 year old. Okay. But the movie does an excellent job and some of the things that I was concerned about, uh, didn't pop up in the movie. Because okay. the book, of course, goes into far more detail. Right. But I just thought it was so, when I read it, and it's a young adult book, but it's, you know, a good written young adult book is a good written book for anybody, mm -hmm. right? Um, it was just really eye-opening to just see the perspective of this black family. Because it's something I'm not familiar with being 
mostly in white spaces in my world. This is just something I've not come in contact with. Um, so the movie is excellent. It's free on Netflix right now. The book is even better. It was a really good thing for me and my daughter to watch together and have conversations around. Um, she's 10. She's a pretty, uh, she's been exposed to a lot, 10 year old. Um, I don't know if it would be appropriate for all 10 year olds, but I would definitely say 12 on up for the book and the movie. So The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Uh, it was banned for a little bit, I was reading. Was it? Yeah. Here in the United States. Can oh. you believe it? So okay. strange. Um, we still have banned books. It's not banned right now. So The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas is my recommendation, the movie and or the book. Okay. How about you, Carrie? Um, well, I have already mentioned on this podcast many times the names Rhiannon Giddens. Yes. She's just one of my most favorite musicians. I have... Loved her work with Carolina Chocolate Drops and then as a solo artist for a long time. And um, in 2019, she came together with Amethyst Kaya, I believe is how you pronounce it. If it's Kia, I, I apologize, but I'm going to go with Kaya. Uh, Layla McCalla and Allison Russell, who are all black female um, banjo, but multi-instrumentalists. I think all of them probably play more than one instrument. And they call themselves Our Native Daughters. And the album they came up with is Our Songs of Our Native Daughters. And it's just an amazing album. And I've listened to it many times, you know, since its release. But lately I've been listening to it a lot more. It's just an amazing album to listen to. And I highly recommend it. Yeah. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. And you can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. In our next episode, we'll be discussing chapters three and four of Music Education and Social Emotional Learning, The Heart of Teaching Music by Scott and Edgar. Be sure to grab your copy and read along with us. Until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy musicking.